0: Welcome to Transforming Lives with Michael Carter, pastor of The Life Church. The Life Church is a place where you'll enjoy interactive, dynamic worship, prayer, and a very practical, down-to-earth-yet-spiritual message. Our service times are Sunday morning at 10 a.m. and Wednesday night reboot at 6.45 p.m. Visit us at mychurchlife.org or on Facebook. Just search My Church Life and look for The Life Church. Now, let's join Pastor Mike. Well, today we're going to start a new series on, we're going to do a character study on Paul. Paul the Apostle. Amen. Get into the life of Paul. And when I think about Paul, I think about this scripture in Philippians uh, where Paul comes to the end of his life and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have fought the good fight. And I think about just that statement right there. And what Paul has done through his life is he, he's had to fight. <laughs> Paul's had to fight. But he didn't fight the good fight of life. He just didn't fight the good fight of fighting against Satan or fighting against people. Paul fought the good fight of faith. Come on, somebody. Paul fought the good fight of faith. faith. You are justified by faith. We live by faith. We can't please God without faith. And Paul fought the good fight of faith. And so we're going to get into the life of Paul over the next few weeks and just kind of dig into his life. And I guarantee you that looking at the life of Paul will actually help us, not only as a church, as a church body, but it will help us as families, it will help us as individuals on our walk, and in our fight of faith. Paul, the apostle, he was one of the most influential teachers that the world has ever seen. One of the most influential. In fact, Charles Swindoll called him a man of grace and grit. (laughs) Paul had both grace and grit. His teachings and revelation have shaped doctrines in which Christians have lived by and multitudes have lived by for centuries. Paul is, what can we say about him? He's, he's persistent. Paul is certainly relevant. That's one thing that's for sure. He's patient. He's courageous. Paul was humble, yet he was uncompromising. That was Paul. Come on, you, you, you didn't have to guess how Paul felt about a subject. And I don't care whether you were against the Lord or whether you were the Apostle Peter. (laughs) There was no doubt about how Paul felt about the subject. He was was uncompromising. Paul, his letters have, have inspired, have influenced, encouraged, and corrected churches for centuries all over the earth. Paul's influence on Christian thought and Christian practice, it's both profound and pervasive. The Apostle Paul. And there is perhaps no prophet, no judge, no oracle that has set God's people on a clearer path to his heart than the Apostle Paul. And so when you think about Paul, we know that he was all of these things. Paul stood before kings. He stood before uh, people who were uh, very influential, and he influenced them, This is the Apostle Paul. But Paul was not a perfect man, just like you and I. Come on. That's why he fought. That's why he fought the good fight of faith. In fact, some might say that Paul was a little arrogant at times. A little windy. Paul could talk. He loved to debate. He was no doubt a thinker, was Paul. He was a thinker. He was a philosopher. Let's just call him what he was. Paul, we know, was Jewish, but he also had Roman citizenship. Just in the introduction here, aren't you seeing that Paul's pretty complex, isn't he? He's a a complex character. He's a little deeper than what we might see on the surface. He was educated, so it's very possible that Paul not only spoke Arabic, but he probably spoke Greek and Latin as well. He was educated. He was born in Tarsus, the capital city of Cilicia, the Roman province in Southeast Asia Minor. But he was also a Pharisee, which was kind of a watchdog society. We won't get too much into Pharisees in this particular study, but it was Pharisees were those people that kind of made sure that the Jewish people were following the law and doing what they were supposed to do, kind of a self-appointed society, if you will. And they wanted him to be the ultimate Pharisee. He studied under Gamaliel, he, and you might say that he was being... Uh, he was being groomed for a high position, high position. So Paul was a complex character. He had all these things going on. And I know when I read about Paul and I read some of the things that Paul says, I tend to judge Paul. I, I, I look at, you know, what he's saying and how he comes across. And I think a certain thing about him. That's why I had to get into his life. Where did Paul come from? And I want to start this first message in sort of the history of Paul and what made Paul the way that he was. You know, one of the first things that I see about Paul is the Damascus Road experience. Acts chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. If you go there, we had had heard of, he was called Saul at the time, and we'll talk about that a little bit as well. But we had heard about uh, some things that he had done with Stephen, and we'll get into all of that. But here... In Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 9 rather, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, Then Saul, his name was also Saul, still breathing threats. Now I want you to get a picture as we read this scripture. I know many of you have read this passage before, these few verses, Acts chapter 9. But as we read through this, get a picture in your mind of Paul, okay? Of this description of Paul. Use your imagination for a moment. It says then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against <laughs> come on, the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from the high priest to the synagogues of Damascus. In other words, give me permission. Give me the power and the permission to go to the synagogues in Damascus so that if I... He found any who were of the way, of the way of Jesus. That's what it's talking about. Whether men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, from this passage, just these couple verses, we develop an image of Saul, this no-nonsense enforcer. He was vocal about his feelings toward the disciples of Christ. Imagine for a moment just the repugnance that Paul must have had because I'm reading the words. It said, still breathing. That doesn't mean he started breathing murders and threats. He's still doing it. Breathing murderings, threats against the disciples of Christ. I don't know how... He could contain himself. He was so angry. He felt so strongly that he went to the high priest to get the authority to go and capture, drag people out of their house. Are you of the way? You're going to jail today. Come on. Bring them to Jerusalem and and, and bring them to justice. Paul wanted justice. So you might read this and think Paul was just not a good person. I mean, how is he different than a sinner? He wanted to kill the disciples of Christ. How is he different than a Gentile? But before you make your final judgment about Paul, let's just kind of look at what led up to this moment in time. Paul, his origins, his history. Now, Paul was born into this family that was very strict, They would have understood the Torah, the law, very, very well. Paul was both Jewish and he had Roman citizenship. He had both of those. He was born in Tarsus in Acts chapter 21, verse 39. As Paul said himself, he said, I am a Jew from Tarsus of Cilicia. He said, a citizen of no ordinary city. A citizen of no ordinary city. And yes... In Acts chapter 22 verse 3, he said, "I I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, but brought up in the in this city." He's in Jerusalem when he's saying this. Born in Tarsus, brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as you are today. Second Corinthians verse 11, chapter 11 verse 22, uh, he said, "Are they Hebrews? So am I." Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Romans 11.1, he said, I ask then, did God reject his people? By no means. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of of Benjamin now that's very important that he was from the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin was probably the most prominent if you will tribe of the 12 tribes he's from the tribe of Benjamin and then in Philippians chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 he says though I myself have have, have reasons for such confidence if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin watch this he said a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law a Pharisee this term is important I'll talk about that in a moment too a Hebrew of Hebrews it meant something when Paul said that this man Paul He was was a Jew, obviously, and he says, I'm a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was quite proud also of his Roman citizenship, being a resident of the city of Tarsus. And his name, Saul, came from one of the most famous Benjamites, Israel's first king. Paul likely had both of these names for quite a while. And it is believed that Paul was born sometime between 5 B.C. and 4 A.D., five years somewhere between five years before Christ was born and four years after he was born, meaning that he was a contemporary of Jesus, about the same age that Jesus was. And he said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. So this term, let's just talk about that for a moment. This term is a specialized term. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. This wasn't just a phrase that he threw around. You know, like I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a man among men. We hear that sometimes, but it wasn't just a phrase that he threw around. It actually meant something. See, all Hebrews were Jews, but all Jewish people were not Hebrews. I'll say that again. All Hebrews were Jews but not all Jews were Hebrews. Some were called Hellenists. You ever heard that term, Hellenists? Hellenists. This term came from fourth century BC when Alexander the Great was going around to conquer, and he was conquering. And he was spreading Greek culture all around. And he wanted everyone to be Grecian, no matter what your origins were. He wanted everyone to have this one culture. And and this process of cultural change was called Hellenism. And the idea was to establish a single culture out of multiple and diverse people. He wanted a single culture, but he wanted it to be Grecian. And so to be a Hellenist meant that you adopted the ways of the Greek people, all right, the, you, the way that they talked, their language, all of that, the Greek culture, you spoke Greek, and you might be Jewish, you might be Italian, you might be whatever, but, but when if you were a Hellenist, you adapted to the Greek culture, okay, and so Jews, some Jews, they really embraced this Hellenization, but other Jews, more Orthodox Jews did not, the one that did not were Hebrews. So you were, you were Jewish, but you were either Hebrew or you were a Hellenist. So Paul said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Make no mistake about it. Make no mistake about my pedigree. Make no mistake about where I come from. Make no mistake about the way that I was brought up. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. And Hebrews attended the synagogue where the scriptures were read. And at that time they were read in Aramaic. That's the language that they spoke, not Greek. Aramaic. Now the Hellenists, they, they also attended synagogue, but it was done in Greek. And their services were done in Greek. And if you remember one of the first disputes early on back in Acts I believe it was maybe around chapter 4 of Acts. Remember, there was a dispute with the widows, and it was the widows because the Hellenist widows weren't being treated exactly right. And so that's when the disciples said, well, we can't leave the word and what we're doing, this work of the Lord, to take care of that, so we'll appoint some men full of the Holy Ghost. A Jewish person born in a city like Tarsus would be assumed to be a Hellenist. But Paul wasn't. He was raised in a strict home, observant of the Jewish way of life. And he maintained a cultural contact and connection to Jerusalem. We're just finding a little bit about who Paul was and where he came from. And at the same time, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul was also very proud of his Roman citizenship. So he had all of this going for him. Now, one of the things that I've seen and I've heard, and I know there are even ministries that talk about going from Saul to Paul, Saul to Paul, and uh, I absolutely uh, am proud of ministries that would take someone who's in one place and, and, and disciple them and move them to a place where God can really use them, that their hearts are changed, their minds are changed, and that's really the thought of Saul to Paul. But when you really dig into it, one of the things that you find out is that after his conversion, it wasn't like when Paul got converted, Jesus changed his name from Saul to Paul. That's one. Of the, I don't know if you've ever thought that, but that's one of the things that I've always thought. But that's not really how it happened. It's true that Saul was his Jewish Hebrew name. But remember, Paul also had Roman citizenship. So it's very likely that he had the name Paul also from birth or from a very young age because he was a Roman citizen. And if you look at the road to Damascus, if you read on in that chapter, when you see that Jesus knocked Paul down, another thing is I always, I always imagined Paul being on a horse and maybe he was, maybe he and his boys were on a horse riding uh, from there to Damascus, but the Bible never says that. It just says that he, Jesus knocked him down. It doesn't, never says he knocked him off his horse. And I don't know if that's where we got, you get knocked off your high horse maybe so and you still could get knocked off your high horse but if we're just looking at the facts and we really want to dig into Paul it's not clear that he was on a horse he was very likely just walking and but Jesus knocked him down still now it's one thing to get knocked off a horse that's another thing you walking and you didn't trip you just get knocked down just the light hits you Jesus just knocked him down knocked him to the ground Paul Paul why (laughs) that's the question why (laughs) but you if you realize if you if you read that you realize that he never said Paul I'm going to change you and I want you to go to Ananias house and I'm going to change your name from Saul to Paul never said that just said go to Ananias house he one thing he did say is I'm going to blind you that's what I am going to do I'm not going to change your physical name but I'm going to take away your vision he took away his vision, and he went to Ananias' house. And Ananias called him Saul. His name wasn't changed. His name wasn't changed from Saul to Paul then. And then if you read over in Acts chapter 13, let me just read a few verses for you. Uh, it says, now when they had gone through the island of Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer. You may remember, this is uh, Acts 13, 6 to 10. And a false prophet, a Jew whose name was Bargesus. Who was with the proconsul? All right? He was an intelligent man, and this man called for Barnabas. Saul and Barnabas were together. It says he called for Barnabas and Saul, and sought to hear the word of God. But the sorcerer uh, withstood them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. and this, this is where you see it. It says, "Then Saul, who is also called Paul." filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intent at him and said, O full of all deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, you will not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord. And he goes on. But here we see the mention that Saul was also called Paul. Never said his name was changed from Saul to Paul. So it's not like in Spanish, maybe my name would be Miguel. You know, Michael is my English name and Miguel in Spanish or, you know, something else in in Greek or whatever it may be. It wasn't quite like that. Okay, just so we have that background. He was always Paul. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews, but also I'm very proud of my Roman citizenship. Understand, I'm just trying to get you in the mind of this man. Paul had been referred to as a zealot. And this is what I want to talk to you about he had been referred to as a zealot. He, he describes himself as having great zeal in Galatians 1.14. I have great zeal for the traditions of my father. Now what is a zealot? A zealot is a person who is fanatical, a person who is uncompromising in pursuit of their ideals. Now that word pursuit there is a verb. It may not be used that way, but it's really... It's an action word is what I'm trying to tell you. Pursuit. So Paul wasn't just going to, he wasn't one of those zealots like some of, some of I, I won't call no names, but some of us today who, who sit on the couch and then look at the president or someone talking or whatever it is and we sit on the couch and yell at the TV. That's being zealous. I understand it. Nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying you're wrong. But I'm just telling you, Paul wasn't that kind of a zealot. Paul was the kind of zealot that got up off the couch and went out. Yeah, he started confronting people. I'm going to let you know how I feel. That's the kind of zealot Paul was, okay? And so he, he was referred to as a zealot. And one of the things that we have to understand, and when I look at that, I thought, Paul, he just, he's disrupting things. You know, they had to send him home. He's just, he's a disruptor. How can he be good for the Christian faith? How can God use a man who disrupts, who doesn't understand that he, has, he gets more flies with honey than he does vinegar. He doesn't understand that, he's zealous. But one of the things I realize about Paul and all of us is that we all have a story. We all have a story. We all come, we just didn't wake up the way that we are. We all have a story. So it's, it's, it's here, let's get a good picture of what a zealot was, okay? To to get a good picture of what a zealot was, let's look back at the time of Moses, back in Numbers chapter 25. Now, in Numbers chapter 25, what you find here uh, is is you have Israelite men specifically who began to engage in sexual immorality with Moabite women, okay? And, uh, of course, God didn't like this. (laughs) It wasn't God's favorite thing that they did, okay? Okay. Wasn't his favorite thing. And in fact, God was in fact so upset that he, he began to talk to Moses and he told Moses, look, I want you to grab some of these leaders and, and we're going, you're going to hang them. If you want my anger to cease against Israel right now, you are going to hang some of these leaders, hang these offenders, come on, before the Lord. And he said, not only that, he said, you're going to hang them out in the sun, so that everybody can see him come on and then uh, he told Moses he said take all the leaders in verse four put them out in the sun hang them so that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel now in verse seven of numbers 25 let me just read this to you in fact let me start in at verse six it says and indeed one of the children of Israel came and presented to his brethren a Midianite woman in the sight of Moses, and in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel, who were weeping at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse 7, Numbers 25 says, now when Phinehas, remember this word, Phinehas, young people, not Phineas and Ferb, it's a different Phineas, When Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, so he was the grandson of Aaron, the priest, when he saw this, When he saw it, he rose from among the congregation. He didn't sit on the couch and yell at the TV. And he took a javelin, he took a spear in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent, and he thrust them both through, the man and the woman. I know that's pretty descriptive, but I need to get this point across, and it's scripture, by the way. He thrust them both through, the man and the woman, through her body, so the plague was stopped among the children of Israel. And those who died in the plague were 24,000. Then the Lord spoke to Moses. Watch this now. He said, and he called him by name. God spoke this to Moses. He said, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous. Because he was zealous with my zeal among them, so I did not consume the children of Israel in my zeal. And so before you talk real bad about a zealot, we have to understand that God used a zealot. God, being zealous is not ungodly. It's just who uses your zealousness. Come on. And so I began to change my mind about Paul. Now, I still didn't agree with some of the things he did. Obviously, he stood there. We'll talk about it in this message series when Stephen was getting killed and all of those things. But when you understand the backstory of someone, and instead of just judging them, at least you might not agree with them, but you can understand why they are the way they are and how they got to where they got to. So we have to understand no one became they are who they are simply by waking up. And it's unwise and it's foolish to judge someone with such a small sample size. There was nobody who was more averse to the Christian faith than Saul. No one who showed it anyway. There might have been a few that yelled at the TV. But no one showed it like Saul did. And God changed him. So my question for you this morning is if he, there was no one more averse to the Christian faith, no one more opposite of what God really wanted. He didn't even under, he he thought he loved God. He did. But he didn't understand what God was doing. So there was no one more opposite to God's plan at that moment, save Satan than Paul. But God changed him. And God used him. So my question is, what can God do with you? What can he do with you this morning? If he changed a zealot to serve him, what can he do with you? So here's what I want you to think about. Just looking a little bit back at Paul's life. We're not even talking about all the great things he did. Just where he came from. Here's a couple things I want you to think about. You know, Paul God God never really changed who Paul was. And so God may not change who you are. He will change who uses what you are. Here's what I mean by that. If you're if you're a person who's shy and you 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 know you don't talk In front of people, you're not a person who would come up here on the stage and give a speech or or a a sermon or whatever it may be. You don't talk to big crowds. When you get saved, God may not change that trait about you. But he'll use that to influence people. He'll use that for people who are uh, wrongly zealous. Come on. He'll use that for people who are brash to see how you get things done by speaking softly. I remember Coach Tony Dungy talking about that. Here's a man who is the coach of grown men, and not only grown men, millionaires, come on, and not only grown men who are millionaires, but guys who it is their job every day to run into each other and try to knock each other out. So he's in a room with these guys, and he's going to lead them. And he walks into the meeting, And they're all talking back and forth and talking loud and probably using a a lot of language that he may not use. (laughs) And he walks in and he sits down at the head of the table where the coach sits. And within one to two minutes, everybody hushed and stopped talking. All these grown millionaires who try to kill each other every day. Man didn't say a word. He understood the value of silence. And so if that's you, God knows exactly how to use you. So he might not change who you are in that respect. He'll change your heart, but he won't change who you are with what he gave you. But he'll change who uses who you are. So we need to understand that about our God made you the way you are for a purpose. Don't ever look in the mirror and be ashamed at who you are. You might be convicted with what you do. But who God made you to be, don't be ashamed of that because God will use that. He'll use it right where you are. He'll use you. He will use you. If he can use Paul, he can certainly use you. And then the second thing is judge others by what God says about them, not by what you see about them. It's a fault of mine. I don't know about you, but I, I, I know I'm big enough to admit it very often. I mean, it's hard not to judge people by what you see. What you see them do, I saw them say that thing that one time, and now all of a sudden I have a whole judgment about that type of person. And I, and I use this excuse, I, I know how to read people. Well, there are people who do. I'm not saying you don't. You may, have a, you may be a great discerner, and you might be able to read people. But that doesn't, that's not the case every time. I mean, I know it's a worn out cliche, but don't judge a book by its cover. Come on. God doesn't judge you that way. Of course, God knows your heart. But what if God just looked at you on the outside and he saw what you did yesterday and that's how he dealt with you? Thank God he knows our heart. Come on. Thank God he knows our heart. And so what can God do with you? What can he do with you? Where are you right now? I believe God would even say to us this morning, just like he said to Moses, what's in your hand? What do you have? Because what you have, you have to realize this. God is saying, what you have, I gave to you. I gave it to you. The attitude you have, God knows you have a, an attitude. And it's not the attitude that's the problem. It's how you're using it. And it's who you're letting use the attitude. You might be using the attitude for your own purposes. You might be allowing the enemy to use the attitude for his purposes. God is saying, yeah, I I like that attitude. I like that brazen attitude, but just let me use it. Let me use it for my purpose. Don't forget, Jesus went into the temple and started turning over some tables. Come on. So don't tell me Jesus never had a brazen attitude. I know that, you know, Jesus was a gentleman. I understand that. But don't tell me that he, uh, you know, was never bold. Have you heard some of the things that Jesus has said to the Pharisees and Sadducees? Have you heard, you brood of vipers? Come on. So there's, God can use you. God can use you right where you are. Amen. He can use you right where you are.